Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom Prediction, Truth Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing good today. And uh, what's going on? We're going to talk about totally ridiculous laws that are still on the books. Did you know that in Gainesville, Georgia, eating fried chicken with a fork is illegal? In Mississippi, public swearing will get you 30 days in the slammer. There's a lot of outdated laws out there, and we have a person who is an expert, and he has um, written a book uh, called um, Can You Really Change a Law? This is John Tebow. John is an award-winning author and the founder and CEO of Silicon Valley startup iLobby. He wrote the number one international bestseller, How to Change a Law, comma, Sway, comma, Political Game. Previously, he served in government affairs at MCA Universal. He was also the first vice president of business development and marketing at eBay and the first vice president of marketing at Financial Engines. He is the founder and CEO of iLobby, and through his family foundation, has donated to causes focused on children's health, education, and financial literacy. John, it's great to have you on the program today. I know you had to get up at 5 a.m. to do this, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks so much, Wynn and uh, Neil. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So we have to change the law to see, you know, uh, at least it's 5 a.m., right? Is there a law out there, John, regarding four, not getting up at 4.30 a.m., or is that in somewhere? You never know. There, there, there is a pending bill that's been around for a while where uh, people want to get rid of daylight savings time. Um, and that comes on and off every couple of years. It seems to be just a sort of a 50-50 battle, but nothing's been resolved yet. That's um, the hardest thing, waking up right when and knowing yeah. you've lost that hour or gained that hour, for sure. Um, John, you got a great book here. Um, some ideas that I was thinking about was you have five common political mistakes that every citizen should avoid. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, certainly. The, um, the ones that I see people doing all the time are you know, the issue of complaining and blaming. And we've seen this, you know, again, at the federal level, every administration and even, you know, your regular neighbor next door, they, we talk about the problems that exist and we complain and say, somebody should do something or what's going to happen, or I hate this, or I hate that, whatever. And so it's a mistake because it's chewing up a lot of our mental time. Um, and the, I'll just briefly go through the top five. But the second one is talking to the wrong person. So you talk to your dog, your wife, your friend, your uh, person that you're working with, but you're never actually talking to the politician, the person who you really need to address to make the change. And then when you do get the opportunity, I have here as number three that you have fuzzy thinking, meaning you haven't thought the issue through. You're really not focused on the issues. You're just kind of blabbing and venting. And that's really not the way to get through to politicians or to work in this arena. Um, the other thing we do is we focus on celebrity candidates. And we see that a lot where 
you know, we say, well, the person who has the most hair, we should vote for them, or the person who is the most attractive, let's vote for them, or they are part of this family heritage. They seem like a good guy. And then we discover years later that, oh, they might have looked good or sounded good in sound bites. But when it came down to real policy setting, they didn't have the chops or the experience to make it work. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, one of the, I mean, there could be 10 things, but the fifth thing I have here is no coalition, meaning it's important if you have an idea and you want to get something done, you need to sway people to your point of view. You need to influence them, convince them. You can't bash them over the head and say, this is how you do it. You need to build a coalition of willing people who say, you know what, you got a great idea. Here's some mistakes or here's some things you could do to improve it, or here's what I don't like. And then go forward and have enough people who are on your side to make it work. Those are uh, five, five mistakes that are done all the time. And uh, your book, uh, Can You Really Change the Law, is going to give you some really good information on how you might do that. Why is it that politicians won't listen to you? Well... <laughs> In some cases they do, but I think for most of us, the, the observation is they don't. But I'm going to give an example of a situation where they actually did and then why that worked and how it worked. So I talk about this in the book, How to Change a Law. The, the instance is in the district that I live in, Northern California, Silicon Valley, I'm in San Mateo County. And here from roughly 2000 to 2010 or 12, Senator Joe Simidian, who was a state senator, he ran a contest called There Ought to Be a Law. And what he did was he reached out to his constituents, which were roughly almost a million people, and said, look, if you have any ideas that we're not thinking of in the Assembly or the Senate, why don't you come forward and tell us what they are? So what people did was they would write up a little two or 300 word series of paragraphs and give a statement about what they thought needed to be done. The benefit of that is that they had boots on the ground so they understood what the problems were in their community. He would look at that, his staff would review them, and then of the several hundred he received each year, he would select perhaps, you know, five or ten of the best, what he thought were the best ideas, and then sponsor those in the Senate. And then his job, of course, at that point is to convince his colleagues that they should, you know, approve this bill, move it forward, get it into committee and get it done. And so in the case where people actually got these bills turned into laws, these are just average citizens, they found that they would end up having, <clears throat> they would receive a flag that had been flown over the state capitol. They would receive some press notoriety. And in addition, just the pride of authorship, knowing that they had made a contribution to their community. Well, um, it, it, seem, it seems like that there are a lot of good ideas out in the community. It's up to us to express them and express them to our politicians so that there is a chance, at least, that these can become law. Now, you talk about the six ingredients that your recipe needs for policy success. Can you tell us about some of those ingredients we need to put in our recipe? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. Um, the, the six things that 
every politician needs to know. And here's a way to think about this, Swin, is that if you have the opportunity to have a meeting with a lawmaker, whether it's at the local level, state or federal level, you may have 15 minutes maximum. Okay, so you have to use your time efficiently. And it's a little bit like a pitch or a presentation. So the six things that I have are you need to know your issue. So you say, hey, look, my issue is whatever. I'm for the vax. I'm not for the vax. I am for open immigration or I'm not for open immigration. So you pick the issue. So it's going to be immigration, vaccination, healthcare, finance, whatever it might be. So that's your issue. The second part is your position. Are you for something or against something? And what we're finding is that it's almost easier for people to stop bills from moving forward, to prevent things from happening than it is to get stuff done. So it's harder to get things done. So the, <clears throat> the first one is the issue. The second is position. And the third one is you have to have facts, of course, to support what it is you're trying to say. It's just like a high school debate in civics or in history class. So you have the facts and you say, look, this is what I want to get done. This is the reason for it. Here's some data to support it, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, you know, you have some arguments as well saying, look, here's the pros and cons. My opponent might say that this is a bad idea because of A, B, and C or X, Y, and Z. And then, but the counter argument is, and then you tell them what that is. And one of the most powerful things that people can do is an anecdotal story, which I have as number five. So if you can say, look, here's a situation where someone is being harmed by this particular law. And you see that with environmental causes. So we have, you know, the reaching out to save the whales, save the, actually, this is a new one that just came up again. The, uh, <clears throat> one of the courts just reversed the uh, protections for the gray wolf. I just saw that this morning. So they are now back on the uh, endangered species list. So that's, a, that's an interesting one. You know, the ranchers don't like the gray wolf roaming around Montana and it's killing their livestock. And the other side of it is, hey, they're, they're uh, a noble animal and we need to protect them. So that's, again, another example of having a story related to something where you can say, hey, look, I'm a rancher. They're killing my flock. I don't approve of this law. I think they should not be on the endangered species list, for instance. And then the, the, uh, the other side of that is, you know what, we're going to reduce this herd or this cluster of wolves. We need to do something to protect them. And then finally, the last thing is the ask. So what the ask is, when you're done with the politician, it isn't like, oh, it was really nice seeing you. Could you sign this for my daughter or whatever? What you're saying is, listen, would you sponsor this bill for me? Would you vote on this issue for me? Would you write a dear colleague letter on my behalf and introduce me to the chairman of the committee who actually oversees the issue? So the six things very quickly are your issue, your position, the facts, the arguments, the story, and the ask. And if you can sum all that up in 10 to 15 minutes, you're being very efficient with your time and the politician will listen to you. If you can do and that, you could be a great politician. Oh, yeah. Uh, who, who me? <laughs> any, anybody. Anyway. Oh, yeah. No, you're, you're being an advocate for a cause that you really believe in and you're trying to be efficient with your time. I've been in meetings actually in Washington and Sacramento with other, you know, CEOs and other companies. And sometimes, you know, some of the people who go in there, they're just babbling like, hey, how was your golf game? What's going on? You're chewing up the guy's time or the legislator's time. And they look at that and say, you know what? I got 25 meetings today. 
15 minutes a piece, one after the other. So by three o'clock in the afternoon, they have no idea who they met. They don't even remember who you are from your seven o'clock meeting that day. John, is there a chance? So I wanted to ask John a question. If you go about doing that, they're definitely going to listen to you more, right? And potentially get what you want potentially passed, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, getting it passed is a really tough haul because you, again, it's a heavy, heavy lift because you actually have to convince them of the merits of what you're putting forward. And there was a lobbyist in DC years ago who told me, I don't care what idea you have, we have a bill for that. So it's almost as though you think, God, I have such a unique idea. Nobody's thought of this and we should do this particular bill or law. And there are roughly 10,000 bills floating through Congress every session, which is every two years. And of those, they may only pass, you know, 3% or so, maybe 300, 350 bills. And we see what those laws are. But if you think of 10,000 divided by 25 committees and, you know, 435 members in the House and 100 in the Senate, you're talking like an overwhelming amount of information flowing through. So that's why you need to be specific and clear and know what you want to get done. We're uh, talking today with John Tebow. His book is called, Can You Really Change a Law? Practical Methods to Simplify Politics and Help Viewers Feel Empowered. Um, John, how, how does the audience listening today get a copy of your book? Yeah, it's actually available free today on Kindle on Amazon. So for those who have access to Kindle software or EPUB, whatever, you can get it on Amazon. It is called How to Change a Law, How to Change a Law. And that's the easiest way to find it. Um, ignore the, uh, <laughs> the negative comments. <laughs> but overall, people feel empowered reading it because what I'm describing is a situation that I personally went through um, when I worked in government affairs with the idea that if I could share what I had learned, you know, in corporate America, would that help other citizens? Now, John, what is your ultimate goal of the book? What do you want? To, why did you write it? And what's the reason that this mission's out there that you're doing radio shows and you're doing TV and doing all these different things? Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically what I said. I, I realized that so many of us don't know how government works. And again, we think of it at the federal level and it's very complicated and it's very tough to break through that. But if you look at it from the standpoint of your homeowners association or your city council, you can actually make a difference. Um, I know a woman here who uh, I met recently who <clears throat> she is on the school board and she found that once she got involved and she's just a regular, she's a real estate person. Once she got involved and started looking at the budget, how money was allocated, what they did, she found it incredibly enlightening. And then she also realized that because she was only one of five on this particular uh, school board, she had a say and therefore she could affect change. And that's really what it's about. It's can an individual be empowered? Can they make change in their community? I mean, forget trying to deal with the Defense Authorization Act. You know, that's like <laughs> something that lobbyists and corporations and, uh, you know, the defense contractors are dealing with. But if you look at it just on a local level, you have the opportunity to get involved and to do something in a meaningful way and not resort. I mean, part of it is I'm, I'm saying, and don't resort to violence. You know, burning police cars is not going to get you the law you want. <laughs> 
John, uh, do you have a website you want to uh, have people go to? Yeah, the um, the site, which is just mostly information, is at ilobbyco.com. Could so you, that's ilobbyco.com. Could you spell that? Uh, uh-huh. I-L-O-B-B-Y-C-O dot com. Is Theo T-H-O or what? Oh, um, sorry, I'm misunderstanding. No, the website is www.ilobbyco, like ilobbycompany.com. So I-L-O-B-B-Y-C-O dot com. Okay. Uh, so, you know, John, I think it's important for people to understand by reading your book, what really laws are, you know, and really why they're made and then seeing those funny points that you talked about of laws that you can't believe are laws in different states and that our, our country, it doesn't matter that this might, there might be a United States law. There could be a state law that you're in that specific state and you have to abide by those rules. Right, right. You know, one thing I've learned too is that <clears throat> we've, I think we've stopped teaching civics in the ninth grade. And so people don't realize that there are several levels of government. You have federal, state, and local, generally speaking, right? And then we also have these different branches, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. The book, How to Change a Law, is focused primarily on the legislative branch, which is your members of Congress, your representatives, members of the assembly um, or state legislatures. It's not focused on the executive branch. And again, this is an interesting one in terms of people talking to the wrong people, which I mentioned as a mistake. You know, in the last administration, everybody, everybody in the country, I mean, whether it was with Obama or with Trump or now with Biden, they say, oh, we got to talk to Biden, got to tell him to do this. Well, the executive branch makes executive orders, yes, but they do not write the laws. The laws are written by the legislative branch. And that's the branch that they should, the average constituent or citizen should be addressing. Um, John, I uh, read in your, um, in your media kit, how to be a smart protester. And you said the sign, slogan and shirt are dead. Uh, I see a lot of that on the the news. Uh, Why did you say that? Yeah, I have an alternative to that, but nobody's picked up on it yet. (laughs) And that is, let's say, okay, so what do these shirts say, right? It's a bunch of people. So if Nancy Pelosi or some lawmaker is looking out in a crowd, they see all these people and they're saying, hey, justice for all, or we want this or save, save this or get rid of that, whatever, whatever it might be, right? It's like, Okay, it's kind of, again, goes back to what I said before. It's like fuzzy thinking. What do they want? You don't have a singular voice describing it. So one of the things I thought would be, I mean, I'm saying this half humorously, is if people wore T-shirts, it'd be funny if they actually did this, but if people wore T-shirts where they had the thing that they wanted to get done on the front of their shirt. So let's say I'm going to just use save the whales because it's, you know, people know what that is. Save the whales. And then they listed the bill number, right? HR 2137. The lawmakers would look at that and go, wow, somebody's done some research. They know what they're doing. Then on the back of their t-shirt, they would have their district number. So 
Here we might be California 18, so it'd be CA 18. If you were in Wyoming, it could be WY1, Wyoming 1, or New York 3, or Florida 7, whatever it is. And all these districts, the lawmakers all know what that is. So imagine a scenario where you have a bunch of people on the right, and they're wearing red T-shirts with white lettering, and a bunch of people on the left wearing the blue T-shirts. But instead of just saying, hey, you know, down with this, or save the whales or whatever, they actually had the bill number, right? And on the back of the shirt, they had, oh, California 18, Florida 7, New York 2. The lawmakers would look at that. And I think the media would go, oh my God, those are the constituents of Senator so-and-so or Congresswoman so-and-so. And they would know like, Oh, my God. In other words, they would be getting a message out and be showing who they are, what they stand for, what party they're aligned with, and doing it in a very, very simple way with as few as, you know, four letters on the back of the shirt and maybe eight or ten letters on the front. If anybody wants to run with that idea, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Uh, you uh, talked about how to build a political persuasion platform. Uh, tell us how to build a po political persuasion platform in three easy steps. Yeah, the, the idea initially behind iLobby was that it would be a software platform that connected voters to politicians. And it came out of the idea, again, what we were doing at uh, when I was in government affairs at Universal. So in the entertainment industry, what we did was we basically corralled senators, congressmen, um, heads of state, the executives in the entertainment industry, lobbyists, attorneys, et cetera, brought everybody together. And I realized that, again, they had you had to congeal. You had to have a clear idea about the specific things you wanted to get done. And in the case of the entertainment industry, it related to intellectual property. It related to uh, movie rights and music and uh, trade issues with other countries that might, and piracy, for instance, which was a big issue um, at the time. So that was sort of a human platform. Fast forward a few years and I was at eBay and we said, how can we connect buyers to sellers and remove the friction? So the same thing kind of applied. We said, look, people wanna sell stuff, people wanna buy stuff, people have all this stuff in their garage, but they don't know how they don't know where the market is. They haven't found an efficient way to make that happen. I think we're in the same boat right now with politics. We have a certain level of political illiteracy where we don't know enough about it because, yeah, it, it's really complicated and it's hard and difficult and all the things that make it you know hard for people to move forward in this arena. So I thought, well, if there was a platform where it was streamlined so that voters could do the things that they needed to get done. And politicians also had the ability to speak to the voters and it wasn't in this rushed format. I think, you know, in a sense, we're sort of getting there with Zoom now where we can have these virtual meetings. And the idea was you would have a debate platform where you would be able to pull together diverse points of view. People could argue, debate, and then come up with the final solution to something that they wanted to get done. And I thought that putting it in that platform, again, you're just persuading people. You're not bashing them over the head. You're not calling them names. No one's saying you're racist. You know, if you say, hey, look, I have an issue regarding education. Is that a racist issue? 
Or is that a Democrat issue or a Republican issue? It's not. It's something that we all care about. Um, John, um, I would like to say that if people come to my podcast, which is www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com, one of the distributors, you spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N, no caps, no spaces, and you send this message on the free podcast to as many people as you can, uh, they will see your interview up first and uh, you will stay, stay in the queue for later on. So I just make a um, plea for people to um, do that because they can get some really good information from a true expert on how to change the law and the information is all in the book. And if you're interested in changing laws or being more politically literate, I would uh, suggest that they get a copy of your book and also go to my podcast so that they can hear what you had to say, which is very powerful. And you have a really great uh, way of talking about something that you obviously know a lot about. So I, I would uh, say that, and also um, you can get uh, John's book on Amazon. So, uh, and also he has special promotion today um, on Amazon. So John, it's been great having you on the program today to tell about some of the things that are in your wonderful book. And uh, I hope that people will get a copy of it and also uh, to go uh, to your website to learn more about all the many things that you talk about in this very important issue in society. Can, I say, well, can I say one thing here? I just, yeah. when, when I saw that you were, um, you know, focused on the freedom from addiction, it just struck me that I saw a piece the other day where, you know, five years ago, the amount of fentanyl being imported into the country was several hundred pounds. And then I read CBP just announced that they had captured, I mean, this is an amazing number, 11,000 pounds of fentanyl, enough to kill 2 billion people. That is unbelievable to me, you know, and we're kind of there and we wonder why kids are addicted. Uh, again, I, I have a, uh, a ski instructor that we, our kids were with years ago and her son, 15 years old, touched a little bit of fentanyl and he was dead the next day. I mean, it's horrible what's happening with that. Oh, absolutely. And I've got a brand new book, uh, Freedom from Addiction 4, The Final Message, available on Amazon Kindle this week. So if you want to get an overview of the problem that John was just talking about, get a copy of Freedom from Addiction 4, The Final Message. John, thank you so much for being on the program today. And uh, Neil, uh, thank you. Yeah, for Absolutely. And no, and John, just the interesting laws. You could do one segment on just the oddest laws that are out there in the books for sure. And yeah. uh, you're, you're very entertaining. And I really think it's important for people to understand what laws are. And you said about civics and the whole thing in education, the way we don't teach exactly how our government works from the local level 
to the st- to the state level than to the federal level is a shame because then people would see the power of why they need to go out and vote and how they can make a change. And your, yeah, your, yeah. Mission, your mission is tremendous. And I appreciate you coming on our simulcast. Terrific. Thanks so much, Neil. Thanks, Wynn. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll just right. move forward. Thank you. All right. That was a special edition of Freedom Prediction, Truth, Just Below the Service of the Neil Hayes Show. Take care, guys.